0: Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Shane Walsh, welcome to the Collective Fitness Podcast, my man. How are you, buds? I am very good, mate, how are you? I'm very well. It's been a rough journey to try and get this podcast working for the past 15 minutes because of our lousy internet. But we are here. Um, so, do you want to give everyone the quick little 101 on you? Who you are, what you do, what your business is, um, and what your role is within the fitness industry?
1: I will try to keep this as brief as possible. So I am an online coach based over in Dublin in Ireland. I am the host of the Shameless Fitness Podcast, which is up on iTunes and Spotify. I've been so lucky to have the likes of Connor on, Jay Alderson, Siobhan Hagen, Sinead Hegarty, uh, Paul Morris, Darren Cartel. Like, it's, it's a little bit scary with some of the names that have come on. I specialize predominantly in female fat loss. Um, that was a completely accidental niche. And we're going to some questions that Connor has for myself, which we'll be talking about to help some girls uh, around certain different things around that uh, cravings and stuff. Uh, MNU nutritionist. Um, So, yeah, I've been doing this for probably about nearly two and a half years at this stage. I've been self-employed for about two and a half years, worked in recruitment sales for uh five years before that and absolutely hated every minute of it i got sick and got sick in 2017 um and had to make a life change and decided to look after myself and put myself first and then here we are on the the ninth the 9th 2020 still looking after myself what we um what was the honest? do you mind me asking uh no it's no problem i'm so honest about it uh so i started a new job in recruitment in april 2017 on the monday and then on the fro on the Saturday morning I woke up with two blood clots in my left arm. Mm. So there was one here. They couldn't find this one unless my arm was completely straight. Yeah. And then there was one kind of like the opposite side of the elbow. Yeah. Um, and my arm had completely ballooned up, ballooned in the elbows, uh, fingers were really, really swollen. There's a rash. Um, and then they had no idea. I got saw so many specialists, I was on the I was on a bed for about 15, 16 hours. Drove myself to hospital. Not the smartest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and then had to get surgery. Veins opened up. And then two weeks later, went back into work uh, because work were being assholes about it. Yeah. And went back in at half for half eight in the morning. By nine o'clock, I'd collapsed on the floor I with why. fluid in my lungs.
0: No way. That, that is a story. I've followed you for a good while now. I've followed you for over about 12 months. I've actively watched all your stuff. that's not a story that I know. That's really interesting. So, what, and then what was you just because of your lack of health at the time or?
1: Yeah, like I wouldn't say it was kind of like, I was kind of one of those normal lads that kind of liked to night out. Yeah. And I wasn't into recreational drugs. I've never done drugs in my life. I was kind of just boozing and partying, not really looking after myself. East Bay football. Stopped playing football at about 26. Um, yeah. So I just, I just got fed up with that whole scene and just started not looking after myself. And yeah, eventually just my body was my body. There was, there was never a reason given, but I took it as a sign of that I was just generally unhappy and I just needed something to change. And it wasn't the greatest way for things to change. But I say it was the scariest time that ever happened, but also the reason why I'm doing this today. So, so every, like, I, my motto is everything happens
0: for a reason. Yeah, cool. Cool. Okay, cool. So let's circle it back. Um, you're a coach and online coach. For you, what makes a good coach, be it in person, be it online, be it coaching people how to walk their dog or be it coaching people in the fitness industry? <laughs> Ultimately what skills and and do you think that you require to be a good coach and, and how does that look for you?
1: I think the biggest thing that most people need as a good coach is empathy. I think a lot of coaches, from working with coaches, from having had coaches myself, uh, the biggest thing that a lot of people in the industry potentially lack is a little bit of empathy. I think if you are potentially from a bro background or a bodybuilding background, it's not that you've. It's easier for you. You've just did a little. Bit, did a, done a little bit more reps in kind of like your own training and you don't understand why say Mary down the road isn't that interested in looking like that or anything like that and it's important to say to show that you actually care understand the person take the time to actually know the person get to know their their family names and, and kind of actually make an effort to actually check in with them I think too many coaches especially online coaches can see an online coach thing as a way of it being easier than doing face to face, but like the hours are can be a little bit less than face to face, but it is a little bit more tricky with online coaching yeah. because the you people can hide behind a phone. Yeah. So I will always make sure if if I if I get a text message, about 80%, 90% of the time I will voice note back. So because yeah. you can it's like when you get an email and it's taken up the wrong way. So you're off, you're better off giving it as your voice because they can pick up the tone if you're being serious or if there's a little bit of empathy be given in. And I think the other thing is most coaches don't stay in their lane. Yeah, I think most coaches, I was talking to someone who is a T1 diabetic who specializes in t- type one diabetics are uh, people with diabetes. And he has had some horror stories from some of his clients and they, are told to do certain things with carbohydrates um, and messing them around with, with type one diabetes. It's, it's, it's life or death. That's literally what it is. And then too many people are, will literally Google an answer and then give that to their clients. It's about doing proper research, having a, having a brain and don't be afraid to refer out. And I'm definitely, definitely staying in your lane.
0: Yeah. I think the, there's been a big shift recently. And I think this is, this is amongst most industries like, you know, we also live in the business world. Um, naturally, we, we do because of, you know, being self-employed and so on and so forth. And I think one of the main things that I've noticed now is that like even people coming at this from like a business mastermind standpoint, all those people in that world, even then where they had this ruthless like oh, entrepreneurship, hustle, hard work and all this shit. It's really starting to change now and starting to shift away from that. And I think especially in the fitness industry as well like now even more so we're starting to move away from this kind of like aesthetics only world and that karen who's 35 and got two kids and leads that normal lifestyle doesn't need to be heavy dieting and be shredded and so on and so forth and especially with now in the fitness industry as well people are starting to realize that you know you've got Karen, who's 35, she's got three kids. Like, she doesn't need to be so aesthetically driven. She doesn't need to be constantly focusing on how she looks in the mirror and what she looks like. And what she needs to be doing is looking at how functional she can be for the rest of her life and like and how she can do her life as best as she can. And I think, like you said, mate, I think, like, for you, someone who's successful in what you do, like, empathy is the main thing. And I think there's also been that big shift towards it now as well, which is which is really an amazing thing to see. Um, One of the things you said in your little 101 on you you spoke about MNU Um, yes so tell me a little bit about what it is and and why MNU is so good and and why that's like a title that you want to stick against yourself so
1: MNU is a course started up by Martin McDonald who's the who's the face of it and Sarah Duff has a lot to do with it as well it's a it's an evidence-based nutrition course um, and it's mainly online so it's one year long, and you've got online, fully online, or else you can do workshops, um, which are really really handy as well. If you want to do that, you have got guest lectures coming in to talk about hydration. It's variable. It kind of get removes the, the the bullshit, uh, from the from nutrition, and it's all evidence based. It has changed the way, a lot of nutritionists, a lot of PTs, a lot of practitioners have approached their coaching. There's also yeah. an element of how to actually coach the person rather than just saying this is the only way to do something. Example, keto. So it's really, really important to make sure that this was something that Martin wanted to grow. It was something that he is very, very passionate about. And that definitely comes across And when he is talking to you as he does the lectures himself. But there's also the accountability that you've got your exams at the end. And the, the exams are so, so tough. They nearly kill you, but they are... They're, they're amazing and the support that the guys give you. And then you've got your graduation, you've got meetups. And m and I've made friends out of m and U. I I meet up with, with them before COVID, obviously, uh, and to meet a real during COVID. But I've met a lot, an awful lot of people. It's like a community. Um, and it's a good community that you can bounce ideas off something. And if you say something or you're unsure of something, you can pop a message into that kind of group and you can bounce ideas off. So it's, it's an incredible course. And anyone that's doing it or wants to do it, I'd highly recommend
0: it yeah so it's like from from what i can see from the outside looking in the MNU is a massively evidence-based way of practicing if if i'm am i correct in assuming that
1: yeah 100 percent.
0: so like there's been a massive shift towards that now though we are starting to live in an industry where everything needs to be a little bit more evidence-based and you know and like you can understand why the industry has been such a weird place over the past couple of years where people have made this massive shift from like who do I listen to? Who is saying the correct information that I can get my education from and learn that and apply that to my clients? So why do you think the industry was so unevidence based and, and lacked the guidance that ultimately we should have had?
1: I think the biggest thing was that we didn't challenge the people at the potentially the top. We just believed what they said was the truth. For if you, the perfect example would be kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger. We believed that we had to only have a certain amount of protein, or we could only eat protein, or there would be other people in the industry that you you just wouldn't challenge. But now with the kind of the likes of social media, the likes of Facebook, the likes of Instagram, so many more people are putting out the research. A lot more yeah. people were kind of like an information generation, in that people are getting taught the proper stuff people are actually researching the stuff and we seem to be in a generation where we actually want to change stuff so that we'll go out of our way to say right Hank, it's not like I don't like the call out culture that's out there I really don't like that yeah but it's about, it, it's about looking at the information saying right is has this been tested in labs has this been tested on actual people rather than rats has this been tested in uh, by non funding so the perfect example is there's a study uh like for growing up you probably would have had this as well, Connor, when you're told breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yeah. That study was paid for by Kellogg's, <laughs> which is the <laughs> maker of cornflakes. So that that has bias written all over it, mm-hmm. but yet so many people believe it because it was it because it, it was said, and no one challenged it, but then people went back into the lab and actually challenged it that It's completely up to yourself if you want to have breakfast. If you're a bodybuilder, it would make more sense because you need to have a little bit more meals. If you're Jane and Mary down the road, and you don't you necessarily like breakfast, you may not be able to you may not want to have something first thing in the morning at seven or eight o'clock. you may want to have something at say ten or eleven o'clock so there's there's that element of it as well, and I think there's a lot more money being put into the industry now as well that the supplement companies looking to put out stuff there's a lot more money being put out into doing expensive research i think that's why it's changed as well potentially the money beforehand wasn't there because people are will challenge things if they if they think things aren't going to be right
0: yeah it's well i was having a conversation a couple of days ago actually and what i said was that like this whole bodybuilding industry where it's it's a really like it's like it's like a small subsection of the wider fitness industry so let's say for example the bodybuilding part of the fitness industry only really takes up about 10% of the, you know the the wider industry but because sex sells that means that the lens that which people view the fitness industry through is pure not purely but majoritively like through that lens of like the bodybuilding world and the bodybuilding industry, which kind of puts it in this weird position where all the leaders within that small little subsection, all the people talking, like you said, the Arnold Schwarzenegger's of the world. Um, and what's that guy called the strength sensei? I forgot his name. Now his actual name. But like these people were perceived as the authority because the media and social media, and that lens upon which we viewed the fitness industry and the fitness and the health space was viewed through that lens of bodybuilding, which meant these guys who, you know, a lot of them are, uh, what's the polite way of putting this, under the influence of certain performance enhancing drugs, we looked at them as like the authority. And that what okay. I find is that, like you just said, is that we didn't challenge them because they looked the way they did and because the experience and the success they'd had with their guys, we, everybody just took it as as like, okay, cool. This is this must be correct. And I think now we're really starting to move away from that. And I think that big shift away from aesthetics, more towards health for every size, performance, living in line with the context of your life, not just trying to constantly strive for a six pack. I think this world now, like, is also encouraging that change. Where actually, maybe we stop listening to those guys and we start listening to the guys like um, Martin, who runs M&U who now have this wealth of evidence based knowledge that we can listen to
1: 100% and like i think sometimes it can be easy to get bogged down in the evidence based stuff as well and like sometimes the evidence based stuff isn't completely correct either and it's it's sometimes on you have to take into account people's preferences and people's choice so they may not want to do intermittent fasting they may not want to go keto or they may want to go keto but it's ultimately what behaviors they can stick to, what they can adhere to over a long term, which has to be taken into account as well. There's no point in ramming down this lab test down down your client's throats if they can't actually live by it day to day because life is too short to be on this miserable diet. And I heard an interview with Danny Lennon from Sigma Nutrition and he he had some guy on, I think it was about six months ago, I would say. And he was saying, when you're picking your diet, ask yourself, can you see yourself doing this in 10 years? And more often than not, people will always go for these quick fixes, um, yeah. and they can't they can't see themselves in in ten years. That's
0: a, it's one thing I always say to my clients: if you can't do it for a year, don't do it for a day. That's Something I love yeah. to say, like I ram that down my clients' throats, and it's really simple, but it massively changes people's perspective because people look at. Their goals. So let's say I'm going on holiday in, in in six months' time. They look at fitness through the lens of those six months. Well, actually, fitness is a big thing that should be a part of our everyday lives, and our health needs to be a priority no matter what we've got going on in our lives. So doing things in the quickest possible time shouldn't always be the priority. It should be how do we implement it successfully over a longer period of time, it's going to point us in the direction of where we kind of need to go. Um, so that's kind of like leads me into the next question quite nicely. Why do you think it has shifted back to evidence-based? I know we just spoke about this correctly. Um, I spoke about this a little bit, sorry. But why do you think now we're in this place where like all the people like your Martins of the world and your James Smiths of the world who are purely evidence-based are now starting to get the momentum that they deserved a long time ago?
1: I think the the, the main reason is that they want to make themselves better practitioners themselves. They want to give the correct information to their clients as a duty of care. And I think if they can go that extra little bit of effort, they will stand out amongst the noise that's out there. Like there are, like, I keep reverting back to keto, but there are keto that out there. But once you kind of challenge them um, on, on the actual science, like there's still some people that don't believe that, come, that kind of weight loss and weight gain comes down to calories in, calories out. Yeah. I, and and that's and that's and that and they come they think it's down to kind of insulin resistance all this kind of stuff which we will talk about in, in a little while, but it it's important to say right, if you have the information, how are you going to apply it to your clients? If you have the information, it's not about ramming it down the throat which a lot of people do. If they like you call, if you look at some Instagram accounts, I don't know, I'm picking this out of my head. Like Keto Steve. It's not. It's about not being attached to a certain idea or a certain stigma. It's about kind of being a multicolored or multicultured lens that you want to actually be a, a general practitioner rather than being honed in mm. on one particular diet. And I think that's what people are trying to move people away from. The likes of certain brands will call it swimming world and we will call it um, Weight Watchers, <laughs> but it's moving people away from that kind of ideology that is this all or nothing, These sins, the language that's being used and stuff like that. I think people are just fed up with that crap that's being put out there.
0: Yeah, um, one of the things we always say is that if, if you find someone and they're trying to give you information and number one, they haven't listened to you or in your lifestyle, run a mile and number two if you meet someone they're trying to give you information and they stick their flag in the ground next to one way and one method and that's the only way they're trying to implement amongst people run a mile And I think that's like a good general rule of thumb. Like you just said, like it's such a multi-dimensional concept, health and fitness is. So doing things any one way is generally not going to work. You've got to listen to the person and kind of break down that context. So why do you think fat loss is so complicated now? We kind of half answered that, but why do you think it's it's this complicated, massive thing that people struggle to even fathom, let alone know where to start?
1: I think... There's so many there's so many different answers to this. I wrote it down. I've got like six or seven things written down. And I think the most important thing is there's a bit of miseducation out there. I think, particularly from working with females, females are so, so different to men when they're looking to lose weight men can diet for four weeks of the month women should only really diet for two yeah the week before and the week off they need to probably increase their calories to deal with those cravings and this changes with pcos this changes with endometriosis i think so many people want to buy into like quick fixes they're not prepared to do the work they always they will look at these kind of like six week eight week launches and kind of plans and stuff like that and go for those and then after they're finished they're like oh, crap, I'm back to where I was six weeks later or three weeks later. Like, there's no aftercare. And it's, I think, a lot of people, I compare it to kind of like what, like it's like saying to a homeless person that you need to work harder when someone is looking to lose weight. It's actually not that. It's you need to work a little bit smarter. It's not about being in the gym six, seven days a week. It's potentially about kind of pausing, what can I adhere to? For busy moms, it's potentially going walking every single day. If you've got kids or you've got a dog, bring them out for a walk. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Resistance training three times a week, trying to get plenty of veg and fruit into your diet. People almost think the things when you say, oh, get some plenty, plenty of fruit, protein, all this kind of stuff. They're like, what's the catch? This seems too simple. People are looking for the catches in that. but They're not looking for the catches when it comes to the likes of those slim boom bods all that kind of rubbish that's out there i think the other thing a lot of people do is when they overcomplicate it they over compare their results to other people's people are scrolling all the time on social media and they're looking at why is this person doing better than me why is this you don't know where that person started from you don't know where that has what dieting history they had you don't know what they've what approach they've taken to do that And it's important to leave in the food you want and about kind of educating yourself from the right people, the likes of Martin, the likes of Danny Lennon, who may be a little bit advanced for some people, the likes of Ben Carpenter, who is amazing at making the most complicated research in the world into the simplest format. But it's like it's latching onto those ideologies and and then not over over complicating the whole the whole message. It is more. There is more to it than calories in, calories out. We do have to move away from that message. Yes, calories in, calories out is kind of weight loss or weight gain or whatever it is, but there's a hell of a lot more to it. It has to be a little bit more psychological. Yeah. Dieting shouldn't be a death sentence. Dieting shouldn't be, unless you're like a bodybuilder, The la- when you're doing prep and stuff like that, or doing a photo shoot, that's when it's going to be tired. But for John and Mary down the road, if you concentrate on getting your sleep in, plenty of water in, plenty of protein, a bit of veg and try to actually relax and try to enjoy the process, it'll be an absolute game changer for you.
0: Yeah, this is where like, it's it's, it's a bit of a complicated one because in one breath we say, you know, don't get emotional about your diet. Don't attach emotions and psychological Mm. needs to your diet. Like stop getting so emotional about keto. Stop getting so emotional about intermittent fasting. But then on the other hand, like actually... It is a very emotional process and it isn't as simple as calories in versus calories out. And there is massive psychological versus physiological needs and wants going on within that big cauldron of their life. And it's such, it's such like one of the, what I was going to say when we were talking about online coaching at the start is that I think my, my personal training superpower is when I'm sitting in front of someone. And we are breaking down all the information that they need to know and and, and what's going on in their life and me asking them questions so that I can understand. I think one of the main things I find is that I'm really good at seeing what is going on on a psychological level. And I think that's something I'd always struggle with in online coaching. That's why I was going to mention. And this is why it's this like, okay, on one side, we have all these guys that are getting super emotional about Keto and intermittent fasting, and, and this and that, and you need to do this. And on the other side, we've got the people who are completely getting unemotional about it and are like, it's just calories in versus calories out. Shut up, the rest of you. It's just calories in versus calories out. And I think there is a very middle ground to that. There's like, okay, we've got all these different options. You've got keto, calories in versus calories out, 800 calories a day, whatever it might be. We need to understand what is the base layer to that, what is actually happening. And for the majority of people, it's energy balance. And okay, which one of those diets now fits the best within your lifestyle? And by lifestyle, we mean taking into account all your psychological needs, all your physiological needs, and what on earth is going on between when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. Because those are all interchangeable variables that make it a hell of a lot more complicated than it should be.
1: 100%, I couldn't agree more with that because it is like the science would say, It is the calories in calories out, but you have to take in the actual person. It's called personal training for a reason. And it has to be a personal approach to what that person can live by. Like for me or you, it's completely different from John and Mary down the road. Like we, not that we live and breathe what we do, but we, like we want to push ourselves that little bit harder in the gym in order to kind of get strength or whatever. While John and Mary down the road may just want to be able to feel a little bit slimmer in their clothes, feel a bit more comfortable in their own skin and maybe especially busy moms, they don't put themselves first enough. And maybe this is the first time that they've actually put themselves first. And it's about understanding that psychological aspect from them as well. And nipping into that and kind of using that as a leverage and kind of lose using that as their why. Why are they doing something? Why are they looking to feel a bit better about themselves? And more often than not, it's about trying to be a better version of themselves. And the latching onto that and using that with clients is an absolute game changer for me since I started using that kind of analogy with them. They latch onto that a little bit more and they start to question when they have those down day. We all have down day. But one of my clients who came on the podcast, she came on and put it like, I didn't even pay her to say this. She goes, I just try to put one foot in front of the other each and each and every day. And I was like, that is so simple. Mm -hmm. But most people think, all right, I have to run a marathon today. No, what you need to do is take a pause back, listen to your body and say, right, did I sleep great last night? No. So what I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try and raise my energy by either having a nap or I'm going to try and raise my energy by having a walk. I'm going to try and raise my energy by potentially ringing a friend and go out for a walk or whatever it may be. And then focusing on getting your sleep and staying off my phone that day. It's about trying to make small little wins along the way. And that will lead to consistency. And that consistency buzzword, people overcomplicate consistency.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Like humans are very, 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 very A to Z thinkers. We are at A, we need to get to Z. And we just forget about the Bs, the Cs, the Ds of the world. And we forget about all those little things we've got to do in between. So like you said, like, instead of thinking about putting our foot in front of the other, we think about the marathon. And then for some people who could benefit from fitness and exercise, they look at the marathon and they get daunted and they don't even start. And you've got the other people who look at the marathon and they only look at the marathon, which ultimately, for a large portion of them, sometimes ends in failure. So it's that really kind of weird paradox. We actually need to focus on them putting one foot in front of the other and celebrating those small wins along the way. So let's say I've just signed up with you. I need to lose a load of weight. For you, where what's what's the starting point? Like, What is that step-by-step process for weight loss?
1: So the biggest thing for myself is I have a questionnaire that I will send over to people in order to fill in. And it's probably like, questions and it makes you think and whoever fills it in is kind of like Jesus I I didn't realize that I was kind of eating had those eating patterns yeah it questions where they're hungrier where their energy levels are their dieting history any injuries that kind of side of things it's about getting to know the person so then I will have a welcome call as I call it uh, with them um, maybe 40 minutes to an hour of getting to know them, understand their psychology, what they've tried, why it didn't work for them and understanding why they want to do this. And it's really, really important to understand each client. Every single person is so, so different. That has been the biggest game changer since I started doing this. I used to, I'll hold my hands up to this. When I first started, I was like, here's your generic plan. This is going to fit every single person. That's not what this is about. Yes, there can be generic plans, but when it comes to the nutrition and the mindset stuff, it's about understanding the actual psychological barriers. You can also look at changing their sleep patterns, trying to take the phone out of the room. Because if you're not getting enough sleep, your hunger hormones can go into overdrive, and your fullness hormone can sink down. Hence, why you're leasing you're reaching for less nutritious food. It's important to try and look at their 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 meals. What kind of where can you tweak their meals? Start off with potentially looking at their breakfast or their lunch. Are they going from in work from from say mo- with lockdown, people are working six a.m. to six p.m. or nine p.m. or whatever it may be, and it's about trying to stay consistent and say, right, I'm going to have my three meals a day, and that's nothing to do with your metabolism at all. It's trying to create a routine for you where you can get your protein in, so you're not kind of really really hungry late in the evenings where you're just going to graze. It's about identifying your triggers are you eating when you're a little bit emotional? Are you eating a little bit more when you're kind of coming up to your cycle and you have those cravings, which we'll speak about in a little while and understanding that and trying to educate them by making small little tweaks and not trying to pull the rug from underneath your client because they have probably had the rug pulled from under them so many times in so many different diets. And it's about kind of interpreting what can you tweak and trying to make it a lifestyle rather than a death sentence
0: that's a good like i suppose when i asked that question what i anticipated for you to go okay we take the calories and we do this and we do this but i think that's really important because it highlighted how much of a tricky but important process the whole understanding of the individual person's lifestyle is and this is why like when when i talk to someone who has just downloaded a nutrition plan off the internet or they've seen this stupid documentary on channel four about eating a certain amount of calories per day and you're just like oh it's not about that you need to look at your lifestyle and look at what the challenges you are facing that has helped you get to this position and ultimately like i did a call cool video a couple of weeks ago for some of my clients and what i said is that sometimes goals aren't actually the goal The only difference between you now and the you that is four stone lighter is the difference in the habits and behaviors between those two people. And ultimately, so the goal points you in the right direction, but the habits and behaviors are ultimately the goal because they are gonna get you to the goal and keep you there for that longer period of time. And ultimately, the, the lack of those habits and behaviors are sometimes what has led us to put this weight on in the first place so by not addressing any of your habits and behaviors in your life and just doing this silly plan that puts you on a stupidly low amount of calories and is going to make you unhappy for a long period of time it just doesn't solve the problem all you've done is kind of tortured yourself for like a short period of your year which is ultimately time that be better spent elsewhere um cool so i've got a list of subjects i want to go through now i don't want to kind of rapid fire them at you give me a paragraph or so of an answer but by all means if you want to go into it a little bit more let's go into it a little bit more so starvation mode what is it so
1: starvation mode is the idea that eating too little they eat too little to lose weight so there was a study by ansel keys in 1945 where they did a 24 week starvation phase um and they lowered their calories a lot, and this caused on average about a twenty five percent weight loss or total body weight loss for those for those people that took part, and then they renourished them afterwards, so from a physiological level, it isn't true, yeah, but from a psychological point of view it's it's it is it can be a thing that can have a massive impact, it can increase binging and can increase. Uh, that side of things and a behavioral side of things, it it there's no such thing as eating too little for your body, but it's really, really important to understand that you need to like I wouldn't. What I'm saying now is I wouldn't encourage someone to do, and adopt an 800 calorie diet as what what that from that channel Four documentary. What people need to tolerate and people need to find is their sweet point where they can actually find a where they can live by and not just reach for these 1,200, 800-calorie diets for the quick fixes. Starvation mode is a thing, but it, from a physiological point of view, it ain't true. Yeah.
0: Um, protein consumption.
1: Uh, so there is no upper limit. Uh, so there is – a lot of people think that if you have – you can only have 30 – you can only consume 30 grams of protein per meal, which is completely another horse manure. <laughs> um, intermittent fasting wouldn't work if that was the basic premise yeah protein consumption it comes into variables and a lot of variables kind of come into it like age gender activity health diet massively come into play it's based on your weight for most adults with minimal activity i would advise 0. 0.8 grams per kg of body weight if you are resistance training or going to the gym or exercising i would encourage 1.2 grams to 1.7 grams of per kg of body weight and there are also studies shown that some athletes are consuming 3.5 grams per kg of body weight. It's about trying to eat protein with each meal. If, for instance, you have 10 grams of protein with your breakfast and don't eat for the rest of the day and you are 50 or 60 grams with your dinner, it's not going to make a massive impact. It's also, unless you have an underlying kidney issue, it's not going to have a detrimental impact on your kidneys which a lot of people think as well protein will not make you bulky girls if you're listening to this as
0: well yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah it's a bit of a funny one isn't it protein because it's got such a bad rap and i think there's just a misconception between protein synthesis and muscle protein synthesis and i think if i'm not mistaken muscle protein synthesis does have that upper limit does it not but then the wider protein consumption will filter into protein synthesis throughout the whole body
1: so I don't, there isn't a, there isn't a cutoff point. It's about kind of like if you're doing kind of bodybuilding and stuff like that, you need to kind of keep topping it up. Yeah. It's like a glass of water. You need to keep topping it up every so often. It's a little bit different for people who are looking to lose weight. The most important thing for the protein and stuff like that, it's harder to digest. So it actually burns a little bit more calories in your body um i hate using food as a way of burning calories there's a bigger thermic thermic effect of food yeah. um, and it also keeps you fuller for longer so a lot of people forget that so if you are like having cravings protein and fruit are going to be your friends
0: sugar makes you fat this one hurts
1: myself give it to me uh, <laughs> <laughs> um it doesn't make you fat what it comes down to is your calories in calories out unfortunately but there was there's been studies done over in America, so we on we know that there is an obesity crisis at the minute. Unfortunately, there were studies done that obesity is on the rise, and that eighty percent of Americans uh, don't eat enough fruit or veg. Uh, so those people who are obese, eighty percent of those don't eat enough fruit or veg. Seventy percent of those don't eat fruit. About uh, fifty to sixty percent of those don't, or they exceed their amounts of fat that they eat. Fats are not bad for you, by the way, and less or more than or less than 50% of those don't exercise enough. Nowhere in that study has sugar been the cause of their obesity. Yeah, It's literally coming into not finding a balance that works for them and leaning on certain food groups more so than others. It, this, the sugar thing kind of comes into it as well with kind of like the artificial sweeteners. Like people worry about artificial sweeteners in like the Diet Cokes or the Diet 7-Ups or Diet Sprites, whatever it may be. But then they'll go out in the pints and... It's kind of like counterintuitive. You have to have a stupid amount of sweeteners, like I mean, a bonkers amount of sweeteners for it to be detrimental to your health. So don't sweat the small stuff. Everything in moderation, and you will
0: be fine. Okay, amazing. So moving on to the final one: Can you lose weight whilst eating junk food? The quick answer is yes. Cool. Would I advise
1: this? No. <laughs> um, you you want to try and get some. Minerals and vitamins into you as well in order to kind of keep your body satiated through kind of getting decent amounts of protein. But you from getting fruit and veg, which I think a lot of people undervalue and underrate for keeping them full as well. Um, It's also a way to fill up your plate. We eat with our eyes. Yeah. And we if we see a big, massive portion of vegetables and stuff like that on a plate you're probably going to be a little bit more fuller. You can definitely lose weight off eating just junk food, but your energy levels will be lousy. Your bowels and digestive system will not be amazing. Your mood will be quite lethargic. So I would not advise it.
0: It's such a precarious thing, isn't it? Because... There's, we talk about calories in versus calories out, but then on the other hand, we're like, okay, cool. No, no, you, you need to eat your fruit and veg. Like, don't just go and eat junk food. Even though we've told you calories in versus calories out, it's really simple. We still need to go and eat your vitamins and minerals through your fruit and veg. And there's such a psychological aspect to that whole side of the junk food world where like that dopamine reinforcements that forces us and not forces us but encourages us to go and eat that Big Mac or eat that burger or whatever it is or the same is said for alcohol. Like there's that dopamine release that encourages that process of going and having the beer or whatever. And it's like a really precarious thing because yes, it's all well and good me telling you to go and eat your fruit and veg, but then there's that massive psychological aspect, and like, and these companies know that, don't they? They know that, like, that the impact they are having on people and their marketing tactics to get people to eat the food.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think there's something definitely needs to change with the, the way they label stuff because the labels at the minute are only per 100 grams. So when people are measuring out their portions, they're definitely a hell of a lot more than 100 grams of something. And then most people think that they've probably only eaten about two or three hundred calories yeah. and it's probably more than like six seven eight hundred calories and that is where the education has to start it is easier to go for the junk food but i know myself from who has come from potentially looking for the junk food when i was hungover and stuff uh i know when i have it now i don't feel amazing my energy levels are quite low and my stomach doesn't really like it so i value getting decent wholesome foods into my body a lot more and my energy and my capacity to actually function as a human I value that more than reaching for the junk food. I'm not saying it's bad, but I just don't value it. Yeah,
0: cool. Like, And this leads us nicely into, one of my, nicely into one of my next questions about cravings. I think this is something that we all suffer with. Loads of my clients suffer with it. I suffer with it. I'm sure you suffer with it as well. And I recently caught one of your social media posts talking all about it, and I found it really interesting. So can you go to a little bit into cravings and how people can manage that and where the workarounds and the band-aids are within the context of cravings?
1: Yeah, so cravings is a the wormhole um, for for women in particular. I think it's a little bit different, a little bit more difficult. Um, and I think we all get them. We all got them. I got them when I've done photo shoots and stuff like that. And I, and I didn't enjoy having those cravings. But what I would encourage someone to do is, if you are a girl, listen to this, would be to identify where you are on your certain times of your cycle. So there's, a, there's an app called Clue, which will count your or look at your cycle and kind of looking at where you are at certain times of the month. I kind of It could be second week of your cycle, could be third week of your cycle, could be fourth week of your cycle where you get your cravings and identifying where you may need to increase your food. For a lot of girls, it's generally the week before and the week of where they need to increase their their food. So what I mean by increasing your food, that doesn't mean just kind of eat for the sake of eating. So, for example, if Amanda down the road is on, say, 1600 calories a day, what I generally encourage a week before and a week of, I would encourage to have about 200 calories extra. So bring your total up to 1800 calories a day. The reason for that is if you think of, say, me trying to drive from uh, London to Newcastle on half a tank of petrol. That's essentially what you're doing to your body. You need to top it up with the right fuel. What's not going to help you with those cravings is a load of carbohydrates. So caveat, carbohydrates are not evil. But what Mm -hmm. carbohydrates can do is they can spike up your sugar levels and then they can crash back down and then you're hungry two seconds later. So what the research would say is that you need to probably focus on the likes of fruit like blueberries, blackberries. Uh, And there's a quick recipe that I use with my girls is get a bit of greek yogurt throw in a bit of blueberries blackberries throw in two squares of dark chocolate which i value my life too much to take away from girls is leave the food in you enjoy around this time throw in a bit of flax seeds and chia seeds and then you're getting your fiber your calcium your magnesium you're getting your berries and your sugar hit the fruit will help to regulate your sugar levels you won't have as much of a spike and you won't have as much as a crash so you won't be hungry two seconds later you need to increase your protein around this time as well but every single girl is different And some girls can have really, really intense cravings, but it's about identifying, is it actually cravings? And if you are, if you are extreme cravings, there's something up with your lifestyle. So you, you need to look at, are you being run around like a lunatic? Are you working a silly, stressful job? Are you not looking after yourself? If you're putting extra stress on your body, your cravings, your PMS, all that kind of stuff are going to take its toll it's you're not looking after yourself properly and your body has a funny way of regulating itself it's also really really important with the cravings and stuff like that to understand that you may need to push yourselves a little bit harder at certain times of the week or times of the month as well mainly generally the week before depends every single girl is different and managing those cravings has been an incredible game changer for a lot of the girls and knowing that potentially they won't be mentally amazing that week and identifying and doing a little bit of journaling can definitely help with that side of stuff and saying, do I actually want this food or do I need this food? And then it's, and then ask yourself, are you seven out of 10 hungry? And if you're seven out of 10 hungry, well then by all means, go for it. But i going for really, really high carbohydrate foods. I would not encourage it.
0: Yeah. I am. I had highly Madigan. Um, on the podcast she's awesome yeah she's amazing um some time ago now and like and she, we we had a similar trailer of conversation on that episode and one of the things i said to her i was like you've got to take your hat off to women i was like the amount of lack of consistency from week to week that they have to figure out due around their cycle taking into account their emotions and their cravings and their calorie intake and then you got a layer on top of that what they have to deal with on a daily basis in terms of i might be sat in a job interview And I may have massive amounts of cravings or I'm on that part of my menstrual cycle. And it's just, you know, you have got to take your hat off to females. And especially those females who really do kind of commit themselves to these diets and these fitness regimes where they're like, okay, cool. I've now got to do all the stuff that the men's got to do. Now I've got to worry about all this other stuff to do my menstrual cycle on top of that. So last topic, which leans in from that topic of conversation around the female, PCOS. I know it's a lot of, it's quite common, more common than people think. Um, yeah. tell me all about it and how it affects females and, and what we can ultimately do to help that situation. So
1: I think when like it affects one in 10, uh, women, so it's 10% of total women have PCOS. So the cause is unknown. Um, but it's very, very prevalent in those women who are overweight, probably about 80% of women, um, who are overweight potentially have it they also may not recognize that they have it. So some of the signs and some of the symptoms can be irregular periods. So probably a normal period would be anywhere between 28 to 32, 33 days. Could really have a heavy flow or heavy bleed as well. You could have a little bit more testosterone, so which leads to hair growth. Could have a little bit more acne, can lead to weight gain, can really, really have an impact. And then you also have headaches as well. Um, The kind of the, the diagnosis Um, is kind of like it's the number of cysts on your ovaries. Um, It's kind of a failure to release an egg and you have a little bit higher testosterone. Higher testosterone doesn't need to be a negative towards girls. I think when they hear testosterone, which is the male predominant hormone, you can perceive that as a way to push yourself a little bit harder in the gym. You can perceive yourself of how I can be an extra a little bit stronger and trying to get those gains a little bit more if you're into that side of stuff. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a negative treating, treating weight loss or treating kind of PCOS weight loss is encouraged, but it isn't the only thing. So I would encourage you to go to the doctor, um, or a guy now to kind of make sure that everything's treated, everything's okay, because every single one of you guys is so different. There'll be certain foods and certain carbohydrates or fiber, some of that could potentially rise up your, your sugar levels. And then you'll have a massive crash. Um there's a lady there's an amazing lady over in New Zealand called, called Claire Goodwin she's known as the PCOS nutritionist I was very fortunate to have her on the podcast and she did a case study with one of her colleagues who has PCOS as well and they were eating the same foods and they monitored their blood sugar levels and one sugar level so say one had a donut one would be fine but then the other one's blood sugar would go mental and their cravings would go mental as well it's it can be a little bit harder to lose weight with PCOS so say if you're who's someone who doesn't have PCOS and you are on 1600 calories and you're losing weight on 1600 calories, you may need to lower your calories a little bit more. Your metabolism may be a little bit slower, so it may take a little bit longer, but it's not impossible. You just have to be a little bit more patient. Yeah. It's not ideal because we all want results tomorrow. And if you've been yo-yo dieting for a lot of your life, you want results yesterday. What I would encourage is to do resistance training, which is weights training. I would also try to encourage a little bit of hit training but you also need to identify your carbs or not your carbs, your your cravings. So we talk about that again with kind of the carbs, increasing your fruit and veg and identifying that. Potentially reducing your carbohydrates quite a lot, not going keto, but quite lowering it a little bit can definitely help to kind of, kind of resolve those kind of massive spikes in sugar. But every single woman is different. One of the things that also happens is that the, the, the cycles can be very, very irregular. So you may not have a cycle for six, eight, eight weeks. It's very, very dependent. And one of the supplements that is recommended by Martin McDonald, and he doesn't recommend many supplements, so you kind of have to, take, you have to kind of stand up and take notice of so this one. It's called Inositol. Uh, you normally take two grams to four, four grams a day, and it's, it tastes like creatine. There's quite a bland taste to it, and you just put it in with water. Um, it can improve psychoregularity. You can purchase, uh, I would purchase Myo Inositol rather than uh, Cairo. Uh, it can improve insulin sensitivity, which will help to kind of deal with the kind of the carbohydrates and stuff like that. Uh, but I would definitely with your nutrition is dem- definitely limit kind of the starchy carbs um, and aim for higher protein. That is going to keep you fuller for longer and will also help with kind of recovery from the gym um, and looking at yourself and kind of saying right. Go to the doctor if you feel you have any of those symptoms, because if you don't, you're gonna you're gonna not gonna understand how to fuel your body and. If you're if your body, if you think of your body like a car and you're trying to fuel it with unleaded petrol and it's a diesel car, it ain't gonna run properly, you're not gonna be able to function. And you only have one body if you don't look it after yourself, you're not gonna be happy, you're not gonna manage what you want to do.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a it, like it's such a challenge for females. Like some of the things they have to kind of put up with, and then you've got the media to add on top of that. And I recently saw, if I'm not mistaken, I recently saw it's Gemma Collins who came out and said she had PCOS. And that's one yeah. of the main reasons that she's been struggling over the all the years. And like it's such a challenge for females. But but yeah, like to make to round this up, um, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so I pretty really, really appreciate you inviting me on, Connor. Really, really enjoyed having the chat and kind of getting rid of the, the myths and stuff like that. So my I'm on Instagram, so at Shane Walsh Fitness. If you are interested in online coaching, head over to www.shanewalshfitness.com or to slide into my DMs in a non-creepy way (laughs) uh, and head over to the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast uh, if you want to hear kind of more about PCOS, the kind of the guests and stuff coming on. And Connor will be on as well if you guys want to
0: hear that episode as well. Yes, I will. Mate, honestly, you are a fountain of knowledge and I have really appreciated you coming on here today. Um, Thank you, everybody else, for listening. Make sure you go and check out Shane's podcast. Thank you for listening, guys, and have an amazing day die.